Praise the Lord. So what a wonderful God we serve, and the power of the cross is something that we often take for granted, and we just a lot of times we just get so used to things that we fail to stop and to reflect on them and to meditate on them and to let them kind of just overcome the reality of who and where we are in our lives. We ought to be constantly evaluating ourselves and our walk with the Lord and where we stand with Him uh, that we might enjoy the very best that God has for us and that God could use our lives for His glory. So we begin this morning. I have been <clears throat> really trying to put a message together on worship for about six or eight weeks and I've had all kind of about, about four or five pages of notes compiled and trying to work it down uh, into a message and and just the finally the Lord let it kind of come together a little bit this week and so uh, I'm excited to to begin this this morning I think that we'll have at least one more Sunday dealing with this this morning I'm just going to really uh, talk about the, the the very essence and elements of what uh, worship is next Sunday I want to get more into how it manifests itself in our life and what it should look like in our uh, in a worship service in a church service you know sometimes uh, sometimes we as a church and Baptist churches in general are just a little bit too tight and so uh, it's it's a good thing to let the the Lord work and to show what God's doing in your heart through the course of a service you know that it's biblical to lift your hand in worship uh, and so now a lot of people, it's my personality is reserved. And I think probably one of my, um, my great regrets as far as my own personal personality is, because the church does tend to take on the personality of its pastor, uh, is that you wouldn't think it because of how I preach, but I'm really pretty quiet and reserved uh, in person. I'm, I'm not a loud, bombastic person. I am not, uh, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. And sometimes that uh, I feel like and I feel convicted at times that sometimes that hinders uh, the ability of the Spirit to work freely whenever we come together and worship. And so uh, I'm, as, I, as I preach this this morning, I, I want to lay the groundwork of what the motivating factors and how worship come, it, what the biblical process and how God lays it out, but also uh, sometimes I think that we get a little bit too afraid to show anything outwardly. Uh, and so, you know, there are a lot of times that, uh, that we equate clapping with uh, just applauding a, a performance or entertainment, and I loathe performance. Um, I, I just want people to just share and, and, and worship God from their heart, serve the Lord from their heart. Uh, and so, but I cannot argue with the fact that clapping is in the Bible. That's a good thing. It's a, uh, it is an expression of God working in the heart. And, uh, and we're going to get into those things next week. We're going to look at passages where the people of Israel did that and when they did it and how and why and, uh, and what that should look like to us today. Because there, the other side of the coin uh, is, is that you go all the way over to the elements of what the world now calls worship attainment. Uh, which is not only a non-biblical term, but it's not even a real word. Uh, and the, it's two complete concepts that are so foreign to one another that they really could, there's no way that any rational person that understands the meaning of the words could join them. For example, the word entertainment means amuse. Uh, amuse means, to muse means to think. Ah means not. So when we talk about amusement, we're talking about putting ourselves in a realm where we don't think. 
Uh, okay, so entertainment is what we do to escape reality so that we don't have to think and we don't have to deal with our problems. Uh, and some people turn to drugs and alcohol and, and bad relationships and things like that to do that. Uh, others just kind of come away from things. And I'm not against coming apart before we come apart, okay? Uh, I, I believe that we have to do that. We need rest. We need uh, more rest than we get, quite frankly. And we need uh, we need rest. We need times away. We need times where we do kind of come up for air. Uh, but don't confuse that with worship. Worship is not about amusement and not thinking. You cannot disengage your brain to not think and worship God at the same time. Uh, it's not possible. And so worship, uh, or entertainment rather, is all about me. Entertainment's all about this flesh Entertainment's all about disconnecting from my troubles and 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 feeding what maybe my physical body needs and what my my brain needs. Whereas worship is all about the attention being on God. I can't put focus on me and focus on God at the same time. When I come to worship God, I need to be musing about Him. David said that he meditated on Him in the night hours, and he meditated on Him day and night. He meditated on the principles of God, the Word of God. It gave him peace. It gave him direction. It gave him uh, guidance in his life. And so as we just kind of set the table a little bit this morning uh, about worship, I want us to understand that the concept of worship in our day, in our time, can look very different from one religion to another or from one denomination to another or even from one church to another within the same denominational lines and doctrines and teachings. And so uh, I'm not here this morning to uh, attack any of those. I'm not here this morning to argue that uh, our way is right and their way is wrong. I'm here this morning to just try to look and examine what does God intend when he says, worship me? What is it that God wants? Because the reality is, is that what I think and what the world thinks and what you think doesn't matter. What matters is what was God's intent? What is it that God uh, wants us to know about, uh, about worshiping him? Uh, and how should that look uh, in this day and age? If I don't understand that, then my worship cannot please God. Uh, and the whole point of us coming together this morning is to worship the God that created us, to worship the God that rescued us from our sin when we rejected him, and to worship the God that has given us the capacity to live a life free from the burden and the power and the penalty of sin for his honor and glory, impacting the lives of others as we go away. Uh, and so understand here as we go along that what we want to do is define things Biblically, the simple modern definition of the act of worship is this. This is found in Oxford's dictionary. It's a more modern day dictionary. Uh, and it means uh, that, it, that the act of worship is to show reverence and adoration for a deity, honor with religious rites. Uh, and so that's the, the modern definition of, uh, of worship. Now, there's much about that statement and definition that is true if it's from the right place, if it's contextually uh, in my heart driven. Uh, for example, what I'm saying is that if there are a lot of people that go, could meet the requirements of that definition and not worship God. There are a lot of people that could engage in religious activity there are a lot of us that, that can engage in every type of church and every type of denomination and belief system. There are people who simply go through the motions of a religion rather than in, in coming into a true relationship 
with our Savior. And so I cannot truly worship him the way that he deserves to and wants me to worship him until I come to the realization that it's all about relationship and it's not at all about religion. Uh, And so when we look and we consider this morning, consider this, that while there are some things that we do in worship, uh, for example, singing, giving praise, lifting of the hand, or, uh, or clapping, or manifesting it in some other way, maybe waving a handkerchief, or saying amen, and all of those things are good things to do, by the way, uh, and the lightning's not going to strike if somebody says amen this morning, or says hallelujah, or praise the Lord, or, uh, or lifts a hand. That's things that honor and worship, and they're part of worshiping God, uh, but it, it is the concept of worship uh, that, must, that we must realize that we can go through those motions without actually worshiping. Uh, There's more to worship than activity. Let me phrase it this way. Worship, uh, or let me explain it this way. Worship actually comes from the old English word, worth-ship. And so we have a tendency in modern times to go back and to cut words down. And oftentimes when we do that, we change or diminish at least their meaning. Uh, and so worship is one of those words because the old English word was worth-ship. Now that implied two primary things whenever it was, whenever it was spoken and uh, whenever this Greek word was translated that way uh, originally. That worship uh, indicates that God is worthy of our adoration. And so why come to a place like this and why sing songs about God and songs to God? Why lift a hand in worship and praise? Why uh, give a testimony about God's goodness if he's not worthy? And so there are a lot of religions that focus on uh, stones that are made of hand or, uh, or wood that's carved out of, uh, with hand that are supposed to be deity or uh, in, in some cultures even that the head of state uh, is deemed a god or a deity and they are worshipped until they die and then that somehow just reincarnates himself as the next ruler. Uh, and so those types, of, uh, those types of things and those types of mentalities direct adoration and service and uh, and praise and worship to an entity that is not deserving of it. But there is no doubt that our God in heaven is deserving of our worship. So when we talk about worship and we talk about its actual meaning, worship, we are stating that God is worthy of our adoration, that God is worthy of our praise and our singing. Uh, That also indicates or implies a question. Am I worthy to worship and that's the better question for us today because no serious christian could argue the point that god is worthy the whole world will find out all of humanity at some point all that god has created will bow down and confess that jesus christ is lord It's a biblical fact. It's not negotiable. It's something that's stated very clearly uh, in the Scripture. Uh, The the focus of worship is not, and the question is not, is God worthy? God is absolutely worthy. And the closer and the more that we know Him, the more we recognize and realize that. The real question this morning is, are we worthy to worship Him? 
so uh, consider this, that while it's nice to receive praise from an, from an unlearned artificer, it is especially meaningful when it comes from a master craftsman. For example, if I was someone this morning that was a, uh, a craftsman, my wife and I went to East Tennessee earlier this summer uh, and uh, spent a little time with my mom and, uh, and went up into the mountains. We have a place there that we like to go and, uh, and there's a store along the way and there's, uh, there's several actually, but there's this one particular place along the way and a place called Ware's Valley that uh, as you go up into Pigeon Forge where there's a, there's a shop there and there's a guy that carves all of this um, Appalachian type things, a lot of black bears, a lot of other kind of animals that are common to the area. And he does it with a chainsaw. It's really very fascinating. It's incredible craftsmanship. Uh, and they make furniture out of trees and they, you know, strip down the bark and they polish it up. And uh, and it just, if, if you like that kind of decor, it is an awesome place and a thing to see. Uh, so for me to go up to the guy and say to him, uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't carve a toothpick. And so, uh, you know, it, it just, uh, there's not any skill that I have. There's no, for me to go up to him, Kyle, and say, man, sir, this is amazing, incredible work. You are so gifted. You are so talented. This is awesome. It, it's, it's nice for him to hear that. But if I was someone who was his superior, or if I was someone that was his equal and in our equation relating to God at least if I was someone who was committed to the craft were to come up as someone else that was a recognized skilled carver and said to him how impressed I was and how awesome it was it would have a whole lot more meaning and so for us to come and to recognize to God and say as a person who maybe doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, or someone who is a, not, a new Christian, or someone that is a Christian that's been saved a long time but just doesn't walk with the Lord, we may attend church, we may go through the motions of religious, uh, religious motions of worshiping God, uh, and we may entertain uh, thoughts at times of, man, I really need to give my heart, my life a little bit more to God than I have. When we get into that mindset and we go and we sing songs of worship and praise to our God, uh, I, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, though I'm going to prove differently in Scripture, I at least want to think, well, that's nice for God to hear. But how much more does it mean when we come worthily? When we come with a heart that's prepared, when we come with a heart that's hungry, when we come with a heart that's walking with Him, when we come with a life that's lived in faith, when we come uh, with a life that's not about me, it's not about self, but it's about lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ so that he can draw others to him to find salvation, to escape the wrath of God and to experience the love of God and his forgiveness. That's what it requires and that's what worship should produce. It is those uh, who would lift high the name Jesus coming and lifting up the name of Christ in song and in praise and in worship and in so doing we put him on a pedestal so that others look to him and are drawn to him and their lives are impacted by him. I ask again this morning, am I worthy to give God adoration? Now, I like to think humanly that God would like some adoration from just anyone, but uh, un unfortunately, uh, what I think doesn't matter. 
Consider with me Isaiah, and you may want to hold your place in Genesis. We are going to come and spend the bulk of our time here, but I do want to share some verses because I want us to understand that God is serious about this matter of worship. This is not just a casual, flippant thing that God wants from us or expects from us. God gave the ancient Israelites very specific instructions about uh, about worship and the old law through Moses. Uh, but look here, uh, hundreds of years later into their uh, into their following through uh, to God's rebuke of them in Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks and or, and or uh, of lambs or of he goats. Now, before we get too far into this, I want you to realize here that what they are doing and what God is rebuking is they are obeying to the letter exactly what God had commanded them in the Old, Te- in the Old Testament law, the law that Moses gave, that they are dotting every I and crossing every T to the process of worship. They're bringing their sacrifices. They're seeking forgiveness for their sin. They're doing the things that God said were necessary to do, but yet God here is speaking to them in that regard about what they're doing. Verse number 12, When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations of incense as an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moon and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean, put away evil out of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Then he changes here and gives an example of what he's truly looking for. In verse 17, look, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, They shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. And God is saying, hey, listen, I'm not interested in going through the motions of religion. I'm interested in the sacrifice that you offer coming from a heart of sincerity that seeks true relationship and true uh, obedience to my will for your life. Uh, In uh, in James chapter number 1 and verse 26 and 27, he says it this way, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, This man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, when we talk about that unspotted from the world, I would make this statement, and then we'll go back to our text this morning, uh, that I I believe that this to be true, that someone who is just going through the motions of religion but is not sincere and serious in their service of God is going to look religious on Sunday, but they are not going to keep themselves unspotted through the world Monday through Saturday. 
But a person who has a genuine heart to worship and to serve God will keep themselves unspotted all week long. It is the evidence of what God has done in our heart and what the motive of our heart is uh, to our God as God speaks to us. Jesus said this to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and verse 23. He said, but the hour cometh and now is when the, wor- when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So who is God seeking? God is seeking those that would come to worship in spirit and in truth. God is come looking for those that would come to worship him with a pure heart, his way, not man's way. So that begs a question. What is God looking for in worship and what constitutes biblical worship? Worship uh, is the, in, in this text comes from the Hebrew word shalkah, and it means primarily to prostrate or to bow down. Now it's interesting because it means to prostrate, uh, and the inference here is that it's a reflexive homage to royalty or to God. So in other words, let me put it this way just to make it a little bit more simple to understand. It is not recognizing that this is God or that this is royalty and realizing that coming and think, okay, what should I do? How should I respond? Uh, let me go and let me, uh, let me bow or take whatever appropriate action is there. What it is, it's reflexive. In other words, at the moment that I see him, my initial response without thinking is to fall down before him. That God in his pureness and God in his holiness and God in his righteousness so captivates my attention and my heart and my mind's eye that my natural instinct is to fall down before him. That is worship. When I view God as who God is and I see God uh, for what he has done and I have learned to appreciate what God has invested in me. Now it's also interesting and this really kind of, uh, I had to look again to make sure that this was true whenever I first realized this. Uh, But do you realize this is the first time that the word worship occurs in the Bible? It's not the first time that God was worshipped in the Bible, but it's the first time that the word worship was used. And it's not that it was used in other forms. The word worshipped does not appear yet for another couple of chapters. And so here God starting the very first time that he tells us and and expresses the word worship to us, uh, he uses a word that means to fall down before me reflexively, instinctively. So what do we learn from our text this morning about biblical worship? And I want you to see three primary things here. Number one, consider verses one and two, and then uh, also in verse number five. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, the, the word tempt here does not mean that God tried to convince Abraham or lure Abraham to do evil. That's the way that we think of the word tempt most of the time. We think, and it is a true part of its definition. It is the majority of its definition. Uh, and so if you go and you research the word tempt, then you're going to find that in most cases it is to lure one to uh, commit a, a, an, an evil act. But it also means, in the biblical sense, to test or to put to test. 
And so what God is stating here when he talks about Abraham is Abraham is a man who has for decades now followed God faithfully. He is called the friend of God. He is used in the New Testament on multiple occasions to be the example of faith and what faith should look like and, uh, and what faith and reality actually is. And so, uh, so God is not coming trying to get him to do evil. God is coming and says uh, that I am going to put your faith to the test. I want to know, Abraham, if you really sincerely are following me out of faith because you love me and because you trust me or is it just because I've been good to you now we know that this is late because Isaac is at least a teenager here Abraham was very old when he was born it was a miracle of God that Isaac could be born and so it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him Abraham and he said behold here I am notice that he didn't have to say his name twice it was just immediate their relationship was close their relationship uh, was personally said take now thy son thine only son Isaac whom thou lovest and get thee to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of and he got up very early the next day and got started that's amazing to me I mean, if I only had, I have two sons and two daughters, and if I, have, if I only had, uh, it wouldn't matter if it was one of them, I, I still don't think that I could follow that and be obedient to that. But if I only had one, it would be a, a more difficult. But he does it. Now, in verse number five is also likewise that is intriguing because he says, And Abraham said unto his young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now I want you to notice his words here. The lad and I will go worship and we will come again to you. So Abraham in his statement of worship is also showing his faith in God. He knows what God has told him to do. And we know because of Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll get to that in a little while, why what Abraham was thinking. Uh, or what Abraham believed would be the would happen, uh, though he didn't know for sure how it was going to go down. And I want you to consider with those words this main thought here this morning that worship is an act of passionate faith. True worship of God is an act of passionate faith. Worship is not for the weary of heart, the faint of heart, or the shallow of heart and mind toward God. True, genuine worship that honors and glorifies God cannot be done or executed by someone who is casual in their Christian life and walk or careless in their Christian life and walk. True, genuine, biblical worship is passionate. Pastor, why do you say that? Well, two primary reasons that we see here. One, it's obvious that his relationship is personal. His relationship is personal. How do I know that? Because God spoke to him personally. God came and spoke to Abraham. God came. He didn't send someone. He spoke to him. And Abraham answered. It, it wasn't a casual thing. It wasn't uh, something that he, that he, you know, messaged out. God came to him personally. And I'm going to say this morning that all of life, all of faith and Christianity starts with a personal relationship. Salvation is personal. 
Salvation is for everyone. God said that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, that God's desire is for every person to trust Jesus as their Savior. Now, the reality is, is that every person is not going to trust Jesus as their Savior. But they will not reject Christ and spend eternity in hell because Jesus didn't love them enough to pay for their sin. Their debt's been paid. That's possible for them to be reconciled. They just are rejecting a personal relationship with Christ. Salvation is personal. I can wish that my children would trust Jesus. I could wish that my children would serve the Lord. But the reality is, is that everyone has to make that decision for themselves. No one can make it for you. No one can make a decision for me as a Christian uh, as to whether I'm going to be obedient to the call of God in my life, whether I'm going to respond to or resist what God is speaking to me about in a service like this this morning or from week to week or from day to day in my personal time with the Lord and His Word, uh, that 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 what God desires from us is not, though we are required and commanded in Scripture to assemble, what God desires from us is a personal relationship, a relationship with you as his individual child who longs to be with him, who loves to spend time with him, uh, who wants to be nurtured by him, who wants to express your love back to him. That, my friends, is the beginning of worship. The relationship is personal. The second thing that I would state about this that proves to me that it's a pe- that worship is born of a passionate faith is that we see that his relationship here is powerful. His relationship is powerful. Well, Pastor, how do you see that? Well, notice in verse number three, and he got up early the next morning and he went. Immediately. Now, again, if it was me, I'd be arguing. God, are you sure? <laughs> what do you, what do you, what do you what do you mean? But he's the only heir, and you promised, and it took you all those years to fulfill that promise and to work the miracle that Sarah and I could have this child. Hey, God, I, I know all that you've done. I mean, I'd be arguing, but not Abraham. Abraham said, "Yes, sir," and he got up early the next morning. And he made every preparation. And we're going to get into that just a little bit here. But, but it wasn't like Abraham just grabbed Isaac and said, okay, uh, hop on the donkey and let's go this way for a while. And we'll, uh, No, he made preparation. And that's what I want us to see this morning. Secondly, is that, uh, that worship is an act of preparation. That true worship is an act of a passionate faith, but true worship also is an act of preparation. Is your heart, is my heart prepared when I come to God's house to worship him? Abraham is about to set out to do the unthinkable, or at least is prepared to do the unthinkable in verses 3 through 9 here. And I want you to see that, uh, that he, he, his heart, number one, is prepared. So, Pastor, how do you know? Because he never questions God. He never goes to God and says, what do you mean? Or, uh, or are you sure about this? Or is there some other way? Or, God, what, what are you talking about? And, uh, God, h- how could this be? And how are you going to, how are you, okay, God, I'll go. But I want you to assure me that, that my prom- your promise, your covenant to me is still going to be intact. None of that. His heart was prepared on a moment's notice that when God spoke, he responded. That's the way every Christian should live. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy to do, and I'm not saying that I'm an expert at it. I'm just saying this morning uh, what the Christian life should look like. And, and by the way, uh, you know, I, I feel like 
uh, oftentimes a poor example of what a Christian life should look like. I mean, some days I feel like I did a pretty good job, and other days I uh, drive through the parking lot at Walmart, and I'm a lousy example. And so, uh, you know, I just we go through the things that we do, and we're all human beings, and we're all have our struggles, and God recognizes that. But what I'm saying this morning is that this is the response of Abraham should be our response. I'm not saying that it always is. I'm just telling you this is what it should look like, and what it should look like is if God speaks to my heart and God says this is what I want you to do, then my instinctive response should be, yes, sir, no matter what it is. I want you to pack up and move. I want you to do this. I want you to uh, I want you to move from here to there. I want you to make this sacrifice. I want you to extend this, uh, this uh, meet this need. I want you to go the extra mile here. Yes, sir. No questions, just obedience. And when we come to the Lord and we realize that this act was an act of preparation, uh, I would say his heart is prepared. He expresses his faith. He never questions. And I would say this, church, that no Christian that's serious about their walk with God should ever walk through the doors of this church on a Sunday morning or any other church for that matter when your heart not be prepared to enter into worship to God. In other words, when I hit the doors, my sin should already have been confessed. My fellowship should, if there was, if it was broken, should already be restored. I should come into this place expecting to be in the presence of my God, expecting to lift up my voice in song and to be worthy to worship Him. That's true worship. So when we recognize here that worship is an act of passionate faith, is an act of preparation, and I see that his heart was prepared, but secondly consider that his hands were prepared. His hands were prepared. In other words, he was willing to do what needed to be done. Notice again where he says that, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for a burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of God uh, which, which God had told him. And he doesn't stop there. But, but, but notice what Abraham does. He gets up early. He gets the livestock that are necessary for the trip ready to go. He not only has himself and Isaac, but he pulls two of his young men to accompany them which means that he had to have provender or food and water for the, for the animals and for them. He, he went and split the wood so that it would be ready to burn. He got the fire. He didn't want to have to waste time trying to make fire while he was up there. He got existing fire and took it with them and kept it tended to the whole trip. Remember Isaac said to him when they started up Mount Moriah, he said, Father, you've got the wood and you've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? He tended to those things as he went. In other words, it wasn't just an act of, uh, of getting things together. It was an act of keeping them maintained through the process. In other words, I come to the Lord and I worship this morning and then tomorrow I don't forget about God and then get right on Saturday night and come back to church on Sunday, but I keep things maintained throughout the week. I keep my walk with God tended to throughout the week as we uh, as we go along it's an act of preparation his heart was prepared his hands were prepared and i want you to consider thirdly that his heart was purposed his heart was purposed what i mean by that is this notice in verse number nine and they came to the place which god had told him of and abraham built an altar there they didn't have an altar but abraham was determined that abraham was going to do what god said to do 
Abraham was determined that he was going to come and that he was going to share his, that he was going to do exactly what God had told him and ordered him to do. And he was not going to let anything stand in his way. His heart was purposed. He did what he did intentionally. It was not an accident. It was not a coincidence. It was not that someone just kind of shoved him into it. He went before God. God came and spoke to him. God gave him a command. He got up with a prepared heart. His heart was prepared to receive the message. His hands were then prepared to perform the task. And when he got there to the moment of execution, to the moment of decision, to the moment where it all come together, he was purposed that he was going to see through what God had told him to do. When's the last time that we, you or I as a Christian, had God speak to us and we followed the process through and we did not lose our nerve or lose our willingness, but we we were determined to see the task through to what God had commanded us to do and to let God work through our lives. And my point this morning is this, that worship is an act of passionate faith. Am I passionate about my faith? And that worship is an act of preparation. And I ask again, is my heart this morning or my hands this morning, uh, is my purpose, my heart purpose this morning to worship my God? Thirdly and lastly this morning, consider that worship is an act of praise. That worship is an act of praise. Abraham takes his son up and he leaves the two young men with the donkey down at the bottom of the mountain and he takes the wood and obviously Isaac is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to carry the wood for the sacrifice up the mountain as Jesus had to carry the cross up Golgotha. There are a lot of similarities here and I'm not trying to avoid that. It's just not the point of the message this morning. But Isaac is clearly a type of Christ in the Old Testament to show us what God would do for us. Now I remind you this morning that God is constantly at work in everything that he does. And while Isaac and Abraham uh, are starting up the mountain and Isaac now is carrying the wood and, uh, and they have the fire and he's got the knife and Isaac is questioning, but Abraham's not. That somewhere on the backside of a mountain, God is orchestrating that this ram start walking up the top of the mountain to meet them there. They don't know it. They're not aware of it. They can't see it. They don't know what they're about to experience. They just know that God has told them to do something and their faith has been passionate and they're willing to obey. Their heart has been prepared along the way and they start up the mountain with purpose to fulfill what God has said to do. And Abraham says, you've got the wood and I've got the knife. We've got the fire. Let's go. And when he gets there, he builds an altar. Do you have an altar in your heart? Do you have an altar in your life? Do you have, and it could be a a symbolic place in your heart. It could be a physical place in your home. Uh, It could be a place, but it's a place where you go to do business personally with God to meet with him, to commune with him, to speak to him, to allow him to speak to you, uh, to, to show him and to, uh, and to be in, in, again in communion and fellowship with him. It's what it's all about. And, and I'm saying here they get there. And Abraham stretches forth his hand. Most of the times when you see an artist's dep- uh, depiction of, uh, of this event, what you'll see is you'll see uh, Isaac bound and laying on the altar and Abraham with his hand raised, ready to plunge it into his chest. And that's, that's not what they did. They, they, they did not stab a sacrificial animal to death. They, they cut its throat. And if you talk to 
a, a Jewish person that's that experienced that and knows their tradition and their history, uh, it, it, it's, it sounds very inhumane, but the, actually when they made that sacrifice, the priest would go and hold the head of the animal up in such a way uh, that, that it was a fairly painless endeavor for them to cut the throat, and then the priest would catch the blood before he took and offered it on the altar. But the head of the home had to be the one to stretch forth his hand and to cut the throat of the animal when it was for their atonement. The whole family had to stand at the gate and witness the sacrifice of this animal. It was for their sin. And Abraham got there and he stretched forth his hand to cut his son's throat and the angel spoke out, God spoke out and said, Stop! Abraham! I now know that your faith is not to serve you, but your faith is to serve me. That your faith is real, that your faith is not about going through the motions of religion, that your faith is genuine. And notice Abraham's response when God graciously and sacrificially brings that ram to him. He sacrifices the ram. He is not angry at God. He is not blaming God. He is not saying, God, what were you thinking? He is thinking in his heart. He is experiencing God on a different level. And his love and his admiration grows. And he takes the animal and he lays it on the offer. Can you not imagine that here's Abraham who a moment ago had his hand stretched across his son's throat with a knife and was ready to cut his own son's throat who now can cut the throat of an animal to offer and sacrifice the rejoicing and the singing and the praising of God that I no longer have to make this sacrifice because God provided a sacrifice just like you and I for our sin no longer have to give our soul in hell a sacrifice to pay our debt because Jesus gave his heart and his blood and himself on a cross to pay for our sin. We have been liberated from the power and the penalty of sin because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross and he wants us to experience it but when we have experienced it he wants our worship. He wants us to rejoice. Notice what Abraham says he called he worshiped and sacrificed and he says to this uh, this person is, or to God as he's uh, as he's there in verse number 14 and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh and is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now we know the word Jehovah Jireh and the, the translation of the word Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh is that the Lord will provide. But the literal translation is the Lord will see to it. Here goes Abraham up the side of the mountain and here's God seeing to the need by bringing a ram up the other side. And I'm saying this morning that when God's people come to, to know God in a personal way, in a real way, and engage in relationship with Him, and God saved my soul and my heart is committed to Him, and I understand the price that He paid and the sacrifice that He made, and I appreciate what God has done for me, then I can truly, biblically worship Him. When my life and my faith is passionate for Him, when my heart and my hands are prepared, and my life is lived with purpose to serve Him, and to bring honor and glory to him and to obey him and to see to his needs that when all that's done what culminates is that whatever I need in life to see through the will of God for my life that God is seeing to it as I walk by faith each and every day and when I recognize that I come into the presence of my God and I can have praise 
for God's presence. I'm grateful, Lord. I praise you, Lord, because you're here with me. I praise you because you've met my need. I praise you because you've spoken to my heart. Do you realize this morning that if the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and you feel convicted about something in your life or you're being drawn to him about something in your life, that it is not a random casual act of chance, that it is God meeting with you. God is with you. God is right there speaking to you now. God is with us where we go when we sit at our desk home or in a chair and pray and the presence of God comes with us have praise that God would take the time to speak to someone that is undeserving as I he loves us God worship worshiping God is an act of praise what are we praising for pastor because his presence is unbelievable his presence is undeserved his presence is is a, mis- is a manifestation of his love and his grace and mercy towards us. Secondly, I would say that Abraham was giving praise for the provision. Thank you, God, that you sent this ram. Thank you, God, that you didn't require the sacrifice of, uh, of my only son. And I was just to say this morning about how passionate and about how real uh, Abraham's faith was and how uh, how powerful it was uh, that in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 18 and 19 tell us what Abraham was thinking through this process. And it says this, of whom it was said, speaking of Abraham, that in Isaac shall thy seed, or God, that, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham went up that mountain believing that if God required this, he knew the covenant that God had made with him. He knew the miracle that he had done to give him Isaac, his only heir. Now I understand he had another son, but he only had one heir. It was the only son that to the covenant mattered. I'm not saying that, that Abraham didn't love his other children. I'm saying that the only son that mattered and the reconciliation of mankind to God was Isaac. He was the only one that could keep the covenant. And when and Abraham understood, God, you made a covenant of the cutting with me. You made a covenant that cannot be broken. You didn't walk the covenant in such a way that I didn't even get to walk my half. You walked it all. You did everything. You said to me that you were going to do it all. And if you require this of me, then there's only one viable, reasonable solution. And that's that if you require it, then you're going to have to raise this same boy from the dead. You can't work another miracle like you've already done. And God, I trust you and I believe you enough to believe that if you make me see this through, that that's exactly what you're going to do. That, my friends, is an impassionate, powerful faith. And it's a faith that was not intended to be reserved only for Abraham. It was a faith that was intended for every Christian to be able to live out every moment of their life. God loves us. Worship this morning is an act of passionate faith. Worship is an act of preparation. And worship is an act of praise. And I would say this again this morning as we close, that only a passionate relationship with God every day can possibly generate such faith and worship, worship, worshipness in His people.
So, Pastor, I don't know if I could have that kind of faith. Well, I'll tell you the secret to this. I believe this, about praise at least. If my mentality and my attitude is that I deserve the sacrifice of Jesus, that I deserve to be reconciled to God, to have an opportunity to have my sin forgiven, if my attitude is is that God owes me to meet my needs, now, I understand God's promised to do those things for us. But if my attitude is that it's God's, I, I, I'm entitled to this or I'm deserving of this, it's really hard to praise Him. It's really hard to praise somebody for something that gives you something that you think is yours anyway. And you stop and think about that for a minute. Because seriously, from my desk down the hall over here, I experience on a regular basis people unwittingly expressing that, Pastor, this is what God's supposed to do. They never say those words in that way, but the essence of what they're saying is God has to do this for me. I'm, I'm his, he owes me. I deserve this. And as long as that's our attitude, we can never properly praise Him. Amen. When, my, when I might understand and I realize that the only thing that I deserve, not just in the sense of preaching it to get an amen, but in reality, is to be separated from God in eternity for hell because of my sin, and that everything else that I experience from my salvation to God's blessing to God's call on my life to God's meeting my needs along the way to God's working in the lives of my children to God's working in the lives of the people in our church to God's given us the power and the ability to go out and to share the gospel and to have people come and to hear the truth preached. When I realize that the only thing that makes that possible is the mercy and the grace of God to an undeserving sinner of a pastor and undeserving sinners of a church, then I can realize that God, nothing that I have that's good do I deserve, but you gave it to me anyway. I praise you. Amen. I worship you. My heart is yours. My hands are yours. And I'm not going to stumble through this week hoping that I work up the energy, the courage, or find the time to stumble back through these doors again next week. But I can't wait till tonight at 6.30 to get back here. And I can't wait till Wednesday night at 7 o'clock to hear more about your word and to spend time worshiping you with your people. God, you have done for me the unthinkable. And I thank you. And I praise you. And I worship you for it. He is worthy this morning of our worship. Are we worthy to worship Him?